So my friend Michael, who I work with, well, Father Michael. Father Michael's a Catholic priest. I don't hold that against him, okay, but that's, that's the way it is. Father Michael was telling me uh, a few weeks ago about uh, another Catholic priest who was driving a little bit erratically down the road uh, after Mass one Sunday. And um, the, um, he got stopped by, by the police. And, you know, the, the, the policeman said to him, Father, have you been drinking? He, he said, no. I mean, that was a slight lie because he would have had a little bit, okay, uh, drawing mass. But uh, he said, no, no, officer. He says, all I've had today to drink, honestly, you know, honestly, all I've had to drink today is two bottles of water. So the, the, the policeman says, well, Unfortunately, it's not that we don't trust you. I mean, you look trustworthy. You're dressed like, like a priest. Not that we don't trust you, but we're going to have to follow through on the process and we will have to breathalyze you. Anybody ever been breathalyzed here? Well, yeah, you can be honest. I'm not going to ask you who failed the breathalyzer test, okay? We're not going that far. Uh, but if you've been breathalyzed, I've been breathalyzed twice, once within Spain. Uh, both times were okay. But in those moments, you're breathing, you almost run out of breath, yeah? And then those few agonizing moments that the priest waited and waited. And then all of a sudden, the red light flashed and the bleep, bleep, bleep. Oh dear, said the Catholic priest, it looks like Jesus has done it again. Okay, it takes a moment for that to, to, to sink in. If you've got your Bibles with me, turn to John chapter 2. And if you haven't got it before we get to this parable, you will get it in a second. John chapter 2. And uh, we'll read from... Verse 1, it's a story that, that many of you will know. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine had gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 litres. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. And he told them, now draw out some of the water and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who were drawn the water knew where it had come from. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. When I was reading this story uh, a few weeks ago, something struck me that I'd not seen before. I love it when that happens. Anybody else ever experienced that? And I thought that what struck me would be a really good theme for a sermon. So being the conscientious preacher, not the most humble, but one of the conscientious preachers that I am, I thought I'd set about studying this passage and this theme. So I studied and I studied, and I could find nothing in all of the, the writings about this miracle that related to the theme that 
I thought would be a good thing to preach about. So I had to come to the conclusion that when John wrote these words a couple of thousand years ago, what was in my mind was just not in his at all. Now, I thought that was rather inconsiderate of John. He ought to write about stuff that I can preach about, but apparently he didn't. So I had to make a choice this morning. Do do I preach a message that is rather shaky from a Bible study perspective or not? I thought, I'm going to do it anyway. And, and then I thought, you know, if, if I to make a total mess of it and what comes out is completely wrong, Andrew can always tell you what it means properly another Sunday. So we're not going to lose anything this morning. And uh, the reason I want to share this with you is because regardless of what I've just said, I do think that the principles are genuine. And I do think God drew my attention to it. So if you're one of those proper Bible scholars, you'll have to forgive me for not being completely accurate, but just get the heart of the message. Is that okay? You can say yes. Good. And what I noticed is what caught my attention is, is what I might call the principle of divine human partnership because we we look at this miracle and I ask the question how did this miracle unfold what's the flow of the story what's what are the characters doing what's the plot that is happening here those are all good things to consider because 2,000 years later in a very different culture we can read this miracle and it takes what two minutes to go through and we quickly jump to the conclusion that this miracle is all about Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, it is all about Jesus, but just work with me this morning. We come to the conclusion very easily, it's all about Jesus. And we do that partly because of everything we've been told as we've read this passage before. Who turned water into wine? It was Jesus. But was it? Slow the reading down. Stand back from the story. Think about what's actually happening. And what I see here is a very clear principle that it wasn't just Jesus who was involved in this miracle. Now again, don't misunderstand me. It's all about Jesus. It ultimately all leads to the glory of Jesus. But other people, and particularly Mary, are so closely involved in this miracle And yet sometimes we just put them to the sidelines. See, what Mary experienced in this passage that I want to draw out is that she joined with Jesus in seeing his miracle power outworked in the current situation. And I think this is really important because We all know, don't we? Let's just backtrack a bit. We all know Jesus just does stuff, yeah? By himself. Okay, I remember a time when I'd been off work for six months. I was ill, chronic fatigue. Doctors had not got a clue what was wrong with me. I was sitting in church one Sunday morning. Communion was going round, and I felt the power of God, and I was instantly healed. Amen, hallelujah, praise God. No laying on of hands, no prayer, nothing else. Jesus just did it. And of course, in the Bible, Jesus just did stuff. He just healed Jairus' daughter. He raised Jairus' daughter. He just healed blind Bartimaeus. But 
the principle, I, I believe this really strongly, the principle that Jesus outworking his miraculous power today is in partnership with people. And I say that because remember that we are the body of Christ on earth. So whatever Jesus does on earth today, he does usually, not exclusively, but usually, he does through his spirit-empowered people. That's you and me. That's what the book of Acts really shows us, that Jesus' ministry on earth continued after he went to heaven, but it continued through people who were empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. Jesus, in this miracle, drew Mary and the servants. He drew them into what he was doing. And I believe, hand on heart, with everything, that what Jesus wants to do today is to draw people into his miraculous ministry on earth. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is just draw out of this miracle some thoughts that may help us to join with Jesus in that process. Now, the first thing that I notice in this story is that Mary brought a problem to Jesus. They said, she said, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Now, for us good Pentecostals, that wouldn't be a problem, would it? But you may be aware back then that it actually was a problem. It was a culture in which the bridegroom was responsible for providing for his guests for the whole of the wedding celebration. It was a big deal that they'd run out of wine. It's like having a barbecue. Anybody remember the summer barbecues? Yeah, not we, we had one, our last one. We invited some friends from church. It actually coincided with the first day of our prayer and fasting, but we'll leave that to one side. Okay, it was just an unfortunate thing that happened in our planning. Um, but it's like having a barbecue and you invite your friends around and you run out of food halfway through. The people who were late coming are perhaps a little bit annoyed, a little bit put out. They feel like you don't care about them. You, you could provide the food, the burgers, the, the hot dogs for the people who arrive first, but you don't care about us enough. And that's what the people at the wedding might have felt. That the bridegroom doesn't care about us. He's not interested in us. It's also very embarrassing to, to the host. I've run out. What do I do? So all that's going on, but even deeper than that in, in the culture at the time is this thought. That if the bridegroom could not provide for his guests for the wedding celebration, how could he be relied on to provide for his family for a lifetime? And so what's happening is actually... The very foundation of the marriage is being called into question because they'd run out of wine. Believe me, this is not about alcohol not being there anymore. This is about a really serious social, emotional and relational situation that's developing at a wedding feast. And Mary cares. 
she cares enough to see what's going on and bring the need to Jesus. One other thing I wanted to notice at this point is that this unfolding situation of relational, emotional, social turmoil was happening in what I would call an everyday context of life. Weddings happened all the time. They were part of the rhythm of society and, and social makeup. You know, there are people in your world, whether that be at work or, or your family, your social context, in which emotional, social, relational needs are developing. And Mary brought that to Jesus. Now this feels like I'm teaching you how to suck eggs when I say this next thing. Because we all know it, but it's worth reminding ourselves. To partner with Jesus in the miraculous starts with us bringing a need to him. It starts with us caring deep enough about what we're going through, about what others are going through, and simply to pray about it. Sounds simple, doesn't it? And yet that is the beginning of Mary partnering Jesus to see his miraculous power outworked in the situation. Let me encourage you to think of the needs that are going on in your normal places of life. You know, I think sometimes we like God to do stuff in the big arena. You know, the big healing crusades, big financial situations for churches and so on. I believe Jesus just work, wants to work in the everyday stuff of life more than often. Just the everyday stuff of life. So Mary brings the knees, she cares enough, and Jesus answers with this rather confusing response. Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. Let's just push one thing out of the way, deal with one thing. Jesus using the word woman, as some of us will know, he was not being disrespectful. Again, reading it today, it may seem like that. It wasn't disrespectful. It was rather formal language. It's a bit like calling your mum, who you've always called mum, mother. Okay, I don't know if everybody's ever done that, mother. Uh, so it's, it's, it's formal. But it wasn't disrespectful. And then he, he says... What's that? Why do you involve me? It carries the thought of, why is this my concern? It's not what you expect to hear from Jesus, is it? In response to a need. Why is this my concern? One of the things that was possibly happening here, see if we can get our heads around this, is that Mary was perhaps still looking to Jesus as her son, whom she could expect to do whatever she asked him to do. Yeah, Jesus was the eldest. He was the firstborn son in the family. Joseph, Jesus, his earthly dad, had probably died a number of years ago. And so Mary was looking to Jesus to do whatever she needed him to do in order to look after the family. And she was still perhaps looking at him in that way and almost making a demand of her firstborn son. 
They've run out of wine, Jesus. Do something. And Jesus' response, look, this doesn't concern me. I think what's happening is we, we see a shift in emphasis in the relationship between Mary and Jesus. Of course, Jesus always remained Mary's son. And you see that at the cross where Jesus says, Mother, behold your son, referring to John. And son, behold your, your mother. So he always remained Mary's son. But now Jesus is entering into his identity as Messiah. Now, why do I say all that? Because whilst Mary wanted to partner with Jesus, whilst we want to partner with Jesus, it never gives us the right to demand anything from Jesus. We're not called to demand. We're called to work with whatever Messiah is doing. So what's he doing? Well, the, the second bit of this phrase lets us know. Um, and again, it, it takes some getting your head around. Work with me. Because Jesus responded, my hour has not yet come. That phrase there, my hour has not yet come, is a, it's a significant phrase in John's gospel. It always refers to when Jesus died and then when he rose again. Now, of course, Mary wouldn't have understood that at this point in Jesus' life. But I think what Jesus is saying here is this. My mission, my hour, my mission to die for the sins of the world is actually more important than me getting involved in this problem at a wedding feast. Now, I'm going to say something a little bit hard. There's something more important than Jesus dealing with problems. The more important thing is Jesus saving souls. And I think in this partnering with Jesus, what we've got to get our heads around is that I need to look to him primarily, not as problem solver, but I look to him primarily as saviour. Again, it's hard, but I, I do believe it's true. And if we're going to understand miraculous partnership, we, we have to get this in our heads. There is something more important than our bodies being healed, than our children being brought back into line, than our families blessed. And our finance is blessed. What is more important is the salvation of souls. Anybody say amen to that? You see, we often describe miracles as signs and wonders. And signs always point to something beyond what is actually happening at the time. You know, in all our praying, in all our laying on of hands, in all of our, our work to see the miraculous power of Jesus break in, we've got to look beyond that and we've got to look for the mission of Jesus, which is to see people forgiven, to see a hope of heaven brought into people's lives and people on that discipleship journey to embrace in everything that God has for them in their lives. The mission, the hour, is more important than the present need. However, and I'm pleased there is a however. Even though Jesus said that, Mary still says to the servants, do whatever he asks you. 
Mary still expected Jesus to get involved in the present need, even though there was something more important. Do whatever he tells you. Shows us that for miraculous partnership with Jesus, there's a need for active, obedient faith. I think it's interesting that um, the only command that Mary ever gives in the gospel is this one. I sometimes remind Father Michael of this as well. Um, Mary, the only thing Mary tells anybody to do is to be obedient to her son. It's an interesting thought by itself. And what does Jesus tell them to do? He gives them a really simple task that is related to what they would normally be doing. They were servants, so Jesus says, serve the master of the banquet with a cup. Except in this cup was water rather than wine. It was something simple, but it was also something a little bit crazy, if you like. Except Jesus says it, so it wasn't crazy. You know, in this aspect, concept of partnership for the miraculous, it's not just enough to ask Jesus to do things. What this shows us is that we have to get involved. We have a part to play in what Jesus is doing and what he asks us to do again is something very often very very simple very often just like the servant serving a cup it it relates to what we do in our day-to-day work our day-to-day living it forms part of what we're generally about but sometimes it seems really insignificant in relation to the need that's present they've run out of wine Well, I've got a cup of water. Seems insignificant. And yet when they did it, Jesus' miraculous power flowed. You know, a kind word that Jesus asked us to say can trigger or can manifest his miraculous power in freeing people from depression. Giving a little that we have to somebody in debt can trigger Jesus' miraculous power in seeing finances blessed. Showing a little bit of love in a strained relationship, just a teeny weeny bit, can trigger Jesus' miraculous power in restoring marriages. Jesus asks us to do the little insignificant things sometimes that are related to our everyday work. But when we do, wow. Servants, take a cup of water. It's insignificant compared to the needs of the moment, but give it to the master of the banquet. And everything got sorted out. Now here's a question, what would have happened if Mary and the servants hadn't been involved? What would have happened if Mary hadn't to bother bringing the need to Jesus? What would have happened if she failed to understand and recognize the bigger picture of Jesus' mission? What would have happened 
if she hadn't told the servants, obey him, and the servants hadn't obeyed, what would have happened? Well, the answer is we don't know. Jesus might have turned water into wine anyway. So I'm not saying at all this morning that Jesus needs us to do the miraculous. He doesn't. He can do it all by himself. And this is both the great encouragement and the great challenge. Even though he can do it by himself, he still invites us to come and be part of his miracle working power on earth. And yet there's a challenge attached. How do I enter into that partnership? I need to bring the needs. Can you think of a need right now in your life or in the life of people that you know? Just one of those everyday needs. And just bring it to Jesus. Just take a moment now. Ten seconds. Just bring it to Jesus. Now, the need that you're thinking about, the people that you're thinking about, just, just remember this. There is something more important than the need. It's their salvation. Salvation in workplaces, salvation in social contexts, salvation in families. Boy, we, we want Jesus to meet the needs, but beyond that, Jesus saves souls. It's about your hour. And then ask Jesus this, what do you want me to do? I'm not just, this flies in the face of some stuff we normally hear from, keep this in context. I'm not going to say, Jesus, I'm just leaving all this to you. I'm ready to play a part in what you want to do in my family, in my workplace, in my friendship circle.